ready to get in the word this morning. Pastor, why do you make us shout? Why do you make us yell? Because excitement breeds expectation. Expectation breeds the miraculous. And I've come here for the miraculous. I didn't come just to feel good and a goosebump. I came to receive the word, to get the word, to walk out with the word so I could declare the word so that the world around me could change rather than the world change me. Don't ask me to repeat that twice. I can't do it. But I've come ready for this morning, so now we're going to step into part two of our kingdom series here at the house. And you might say, Pastor, why the kingdom? Because there is a dynamic in the church culture that is missing today. We are capitalized on feel goods, productions, but we have forgotten to do it God's way. We are doing it the church's way. And when I say the church's way, I mean the social gathering of a bunch of people that want to call themselves heaven bound. It gets quiet in this Presbyterian church real fast. Because the truth be told is, is that church has become a feel-good to most people. We have not crossed over the threshold from Christianity to becoming a believer. We are still dwelling in a word that was given to us to mark us, to separate us as crazy people. Whether you realize that or not, Christian is a word that was put on us to segregate us, to separate us, to call us crazy people back in the biblical terms. God refers to you as a believer. How many believers do I have in the house today? Now watch this, watch, because be careful when you raise your hand, because if you're a believer, that means you do something with it. You don't just talk about it. Christians talk about it. Christians walk around and go, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Believers, you see them doing it without ever hearing a thing. You watch them. They are moving in action on the things of God. When you say pray, you don't go, well, I'll be praying for you. Let's pray now. That's a believer. So what I'm talking about this morning is not people who just want to play church, sit cute, play in the play, play, call themselves a part of the team, but they're the fourth stringers. You know the ones that okay, when we played football, even if you weren't on the first string, you were on the sideline with the helmet ready to go. So if coach decided to put you in, you were ready. You know those kids that sat on the bench that never got called in because they're like, oh, I'm on the fourth string, oh, nobody likes me, blah, blah, blah. That's what the church sounds like today. I don't understand why God won't put me in. I don't understand why God won't choose me. I'm worth being chosen, but you're not available to be chosen. You're still sitting on the bench whining about it. God says, I'm looking for people that will step up. Coach, put me in. Coach, put me in. I want to annoy God so much that he has to put me in. God, God, when's my time? When, when are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. See, we don't come to church like that anymore. We come to church like, oh, oh God, if you could just, just one more time help me again. Where is the boldness of the believer? Where is the, where is the boldness, the, the roaring lion or lioness in the church again? Where is the ones that will walk out of the church, not going, oh, I can't wait till next Sunday, but walk out going, man, I can't wait to apply this at lunch today. There's a dynamic in church culture that is missing. We don't talk about the kingdom of God. What we talk about is how good we're going to feel about our sin when we walk out. Hmm. There is an insatiable desire amongst believers to live on the outskirts of the fringes of God's kingdom. And I believe it is because there is a lack of understanding of what the kingdom of God really is. There is a great attendance, but a lack of understanding. Come on, let me help you with something. I don't, I don't, I, it's, it's, I don't understand it. I'm still trying to figure it out. Although I've been doing this senior pastoring for 15 years, I, I'm still struggling with this. Why in Southeast Louisiana, we think church attendance is salvation. Well, if I go to church, I'm saved. I hate to break this to you. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But the devil came to church this morning. Do you want me to prove it? You know how many people drove to church, pulled in the parking lot, and were fighting as they were pulling in the parking lot? No, Pastor, the devil stops at the parking lot. Uh-uh. 
He's come to seek and devour. He's come to divide and conquer. He's come and destroy not your mortal body, but your spirit mind and your spirit and your soul and to destroy you so you cannot go forward. So when you say, well, I go to church, that means nothing. When you start declaring, decreeing, and doing, that's when you become something. If you and I are believers, then we should pay close attention every time in the scriptures where it says the kingdom of God is like. Why? Because our minds, because we are not of the old nature, have now been transformed and trans. I can't think of the word there. I lost it right there. We have been put in a place to go forward, not in our own ways, but in his ways of doing things. Let me say this to you as a sidebar. Please stop trying to call yourself a believer, but still telling God how to do things. Because if you're telling God how to do things, you are not part of his kingdom. You are still dwelling in your kingdom. And you want him to put the blessing on your kingdom. God says, I didn't call you to build your kingdom. I called you to help me build mine. So I need you to put away what you want and come into what I've called you to. But here's the great part about God. God has a desire to bless you in the midst of while you're building his kingdom. He has no desire for you to miss out. He wants to bestow his greatest blessings on you. For the word of God says that if your earthly father wants to bestow earthly blessings on you, how much more does your heavenly father want to unload heaven on you? So when you start thinking about this, you go, man, I can make stuff happen in my own right. But in God, man, things get crazy. And I would much rather obtain that and stay in that. In his word, he is giving us the direction as how, as how to live and how to apply his word so that you and I can receive everything he has for us. But it's time that you and I live our lives as believers with the mindset of the kingdom of God and not the mindset of attending church. Before we can go into part two, I want to share something that jumped out to me last week as I was reading through the scripture when we talked about the word. Because I, I, I think where we, where we mess up is you can't understand the kingdom until you're willing to get in the word. Because the word, the kingdom is in the word. It's not in a novel. It's in the word. So if you have no desire for the word, then I'm going to just tell you this. You have no desire for the kingdom. Because the word is what is, is the red carpet into the kingdom. Without the word, you're not going to walk into the kingdom. You can't go to church and go, I'm part of the kingdom. No, because, because people will, will, will always say that. They'll always go, well, I, I'm, look, I'm, I'm part of the kingdom. No, you're not because the word hasn't fallen into you. Last week, we were talking about what kind of soil you are. And we got to the very end of this thing where we were talking about fertile soil, seedable soil. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, it says this, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Here's where I think we've missed it. Somewhere in the church, we keep telling God that he's going to produce the 30, 60, or even 100 times greater. Read what your Bible says and read it as loud as you can. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and what? Who? Who produces? No, I need God to produce. I don't know how to produce. Here's what you don't understand. The moment that the word of God comes in and you get understanding, you have now been empowered, dunamis, to do 30, 60, 100 times greater than you could do before all that came into you. So the power of the word gives you the ability to produce. But what we do is we go, God, I read my Bible. Give me. God, pay me. Pay me. I need my 30, 60, 100 fold. You said it. You said it. That's not what he said. He said that when you do these things, 
When you get in the word, when you choose to understand, when you choose to let it plant on the inside of you, when you stop playing around with church and start letting the relationship with God become the thing that you live for and allowing the kingdom of God to take root, when these things start to happen, you are going to start to produce at a greater level. The problem is, is that we have a culture today that doesn't like to work. The culture is birthed on give me's. What will you give me today? And let me help you with something. This is an assignment of the enemy because you would never say what you're going to give me if you didn't have loss first. So the culture is dealing in a pandemic of loss. We are dealing, we are so afraid to give something away because we are now going to have a void in our lives. I can't give that away. I can't, I can't give up that. That's mine. That's mine. What if I told you everything is the Lord's? Everything. If your life is the Lord's, then why isn't your stuff the Lord's? But, but pastor, I worked hard for that, but who gave you the breath in your body to work hard? Who gave you the life in your body and the being to get up and go to work this morning so that you could obtain those things that you have? See, I think we miss it so many times and we're jumping into the, what did I get? What did I get? What did I get? Rather than, God, this is yours. This, this is all belongs to you, and I'm not going to take it from you. I'm going to rest in the fact that it's yours. And so if you require of it, if you decide to take it from me, it's not me losing, it's you gaining. <laughs> and I'm growing. He said that the seed fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as he has been planted. You know, the word says, uh, now unto him that's Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think according to what? According to what? See, we missed this. Watch. And I didn't even put it on screen. Y'all like, oh, no. According to what? The what? The power that works in us. Watch this. I'm going to mess with you so bad. The word power is not something you obtained. It's something that was inherited on the inside of you, was birthed on the inside of you. It's called dunamis. You were birthed with dunamis power. You were brought into this world with dunamis power. So he says, now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think according to the power. Somebody say power. power. That was weak. Say power, power. That works in us. So you got to let the power work on the inside of you. What's that power? How do you enact that power? Your word. No, I need to go to church, pastor. Uh-uh. Church is not going to do it for you. That's the worst thing a pastor could ever say. That the church is not going to enact the power. You getting up on a Monday morning and choosing to get in your word, then you're going to enact the power. It's like this. I, I know I got Leslie in here who's a trainer. We're all good at going to the gym as long as we got a trainer. The moment the trainer's season is done in our lives, we're like, eh, I'm good. I'm not going this morning. Why? You want to know why? Because the trainer requires accountability. And nobody wants to fail. But the problem is, is that the moment God stops giving us what we want, we back off from the kingdom dynamic and the word dynamic, and we wonder why we're no longer producing and going back to the fat, sassy Christians we were before. God says, I need you to either be a lean believer or a fat and sassy Christian. Which one are you going to be? I'm going to get shirts that say lean, and one says fat and sassy. You can pick. I guarantee the lean ones are going to sell out. Nobody's going to put a fat and sassy on their system. They're like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to be fat and sassy, Pastor. I don't want to do it. So, okay, so why do we do it? Why are we subjecting ourselves? Because we have gotten wrapped up in this culture of church rather than the kingdom of God. We have gotten wrapped up in this culture of just, well, it's Sunday. Let's go to church. Rather than waking up on a Sunday morning going, ooh, God's got something for me this morning. 
Man, I can't wait to hear what God, even if, even if pastor just barks like a dog, I don't even care. I just can't wait to get to church because God's got something powerful for me this morning. All of this is dependent upon how deep you will allow the seed to go and how great your faith is that is attached to you. Your hundred times greater is not waiting on God, it's waiting on you. Let that one sink for about five seconds. Your hundred times greater is not waiting on God. God already provided it. He's just waiting for you to uncover it. Are you ready to go that hundred times greater? Are you ready for the kingdom of God to take root in your life? If so, I'm glad you are. So open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 13. The book of Matthew chapter 13. Here we're going to go kingdom part two. But now we're going to start talking about God's way of doing things. But like I said, you can't understand God's way of doing things without understanding the word first. If you've got Matthew chapter 13, say, I got it. If you didn't bring your Bible, say, help me, Jesus. I know there's a couple of y'all. Praise the Lord. Amen. Do you hear them? They're like, I don't want to call it. That's all right. Look at your neighbor and go, hey, can I borrow yours? If they didn't bring a Bible, move. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough to buy the field. And we break this down this morning, hoping that you're going to gain some strength, some tenacity, some endurance, some power out of this moment. Let's start to break this scripture down. Let's look at the very first part. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. Okay. Let's talk about for just a moment what the field is. There are many fields when it comes to the things of God and how God chooses to speak to us as believers. One of the big ones for me as a pastor is the house of God. This is a field. Amen. This is a field. Whether you believe it or not, this is a field. This is the kingdom, God's way of doing things. It's like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. When you go to your personal prayer time, your personal word time, your worship time, whether it's in your car and you look like Ray Charles or it's at your house when nobody's around, whatever it might be, however you get there, that is a field. When you go into those moments, can I ask you a question? Do you go into those moments hoping to fix something or do you go into those moments knowing and recognizing that you're about to uncover something greater than where you are? Because here's the truth of it. Most people in the church today only pursue God out of needing something fixed rather than with an expectation that when I get into that place, God is going to overwhelm me and fulfill every space in my life and remove every void out of my life. I'm no longer going to be broken. I'm going to be whole. Not, I don't have to go to God and go, God, will you please fix me? His desire is to heal you. But what we have a tendency to do in the church today is to go into the places with God with, with a hope that God might be the sugar daddy in the moment as long as we perform to the right levels. So if I go to church, God will love me more. If I serve in the church, God will love me more. If I read my Bible, God will love me more. We're searching for God to love us more than he already did. How much more can God really love you? For God so loved the world that he gave. How much more can he give? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not condemn the world, but he came to save the world. Now, if I just sit there for five seconds, how much more do you need God to do in your existence before you finally understand that he's truly God? So if we understand that God has done all of these great things for us, then why is it that we approach him in this defeatist mentality to where God's got to do something more? rather than he's more than enough. Why is it that we have this tendency to only go to God when there's a problem? Come on, work with me for a second. It's amazing. We will pray and fast when all hell breaks loose. But if everything's okay, God, I'm good. God, you didn't ask me to fast. You did, did, I'm not on that level right now. I don't need to fast, God. That person needs to fast. They're in some trouble. 
Show me in your Bible where it says to pray and fast when you're in struggles. Rather than to pray and fast continuously. <laughs> Why? Because it keeps you in check. It, it takes you out of the equation and puts him into the equation. It, it, it shifts the culture of being dependent upon the world and now start to depend on the things of God. I, I don't like it when people who claim themselves as believers talk more about the devil than they talk about God. How are you? Oh, the devil, the devil, the devil. I, I don't know if you've read your Bible, but that's a defeated foe. I'm a believer. I'm the righteousness of my daddy. I, I'm, I'm going into heavenly places. I'm, I'm his kid. I know what the promise is on my... Who's the devil? Now, when I was in sin and I was outside of the kingdom, oh, he was, he was reigning and ruling in my life. But when I came into the kingdom, the gate closed. The enemy was left outside. The only way the enemy has access back is that somewhere along the way, I went and found a back door and opened it up and let him in. Because the enemy goes to and fro throughout the earth seeking whom he may devour. Which means that it is a word that grants permission. See, once you become a believer and you start talking about how the devil has access, I'm going to tell you this with all love in my heart, that you never close the door. Turn me down just a little bit, sound man, if you don't mind. That at some point what we do is we allow him back in because sin is still fun. Come on, y'all look at me like I don't know. No, Pastor, sin's not fun. No, I've never sinned. Pastor, you're, you're, you're talking about yourself. I, not me. No, no. If you have gossiped this week about one person, you're in sin. I hate to drop the hammer, but there it went. If you picked up the phone and said, did you see so-and-so? Sin. If you went to McDonald's and ate like a glutton, I hate to tell you, sin. If you ate a whole king cake by yourself, Happy Mardi Gras. I'm saving myself because I am not going home. You told the whole church I'm in sin. Okay, no, I'm not doing that. Amen. Truth be told is that we have a tendency to choose the world over God and call it the kingdom. And then we wonder why there's no production anymore. God, why are we not seeing the fruits fall? Why are we not seeing the power moments that you declared in your word? Why are we not seeing signs, miracles, and wonders? Because you're not seeking those things anymore. You're seeking them for you, not for my kingdom's sake. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. When you come in here, what are you coming looking for? <laughs> shut it I understand the people that come into the house that are broken and they have a moment but my God if you call yourself a believer pull your pants up buckle your seatbelt and let's ride this ride and let's go because nobody's going to follow a bunch of sniveling babies out to the pasture to be slaughtered they said we gotta die oh god we gotta die oh man all right i'm glad let's go die why are we gonna die because to die in this is to live in him so we might as well get it we might as well just jump on in and ride the my god i don't i just don't get it anymore we we, we come to church to complain come on y'all looking at me like i'm dumb right now please stop doing that we do god i'm here to i don't, I don't know if i can lift my hands today i don't i don't know God, do you really love me? God, ah. He said, while you were sinners, he still loved you. 
in the midst of your junk, he still loved you. Stop with this. I need, I need affirmation. I need somebody to tell me I'm okay. Shut up. It's driving me bonkers. We're not the church anymore. We're just a bunch of sniveling crybabies. And no wonder the kingdom of God is not moving forward because we're not going forward. We're going backwards. We're going reprobate. We're going back to the thing he delivered us out of. When are we going to stand up and declare something greater? That's what the kingdom of God is. Because when you live in the kingdom, you understand that there is a fortified wall around you that's got you protected. And God is the king of that castle. And nothing's coming in because he's not only the priest of your life, he is also the provisionary, the protector. There is nothing coming to get you. So when you walk around going, I don't know if I'm going to make it, you've moved out of the kingdom. You have packed your own luggage and moved out. God says, get back in. Here's the great part. God doesn't ever shut the door. He keeps the door available to you. But let me trust, let me teach you something. He will allow you to walk outside. Trust me, he'll let you. He loves you enough to let you. Why? Because once you get outside, you're not going to want to stay. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. So many times we come into this moment on a Sunday, our private word time, or even our worship, and we don't come looking for treasure. We're looking for benefits. Every moment with God is a time to discover hidden treasure. But what creates this excitement is your expectation of what you're about to find. Oh, I can't wait to hear what pastor's going to tell us today. But what are you going to do with it once you have it? Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's me studying so that I can hand you a word so that it will give you the strength to go on. But it should give you an even greater desire to go home and get in your word and to find the more hidden treasures. Don't live on my treasure. Find one for yourself. If I told you, if you invest in this stock, you're going to make millions. All y'all going to go out and invest in GameStop tomorrow. Some of y'all know exactly where I went right there. Some of y'all caught that one. Some of y'all was beyond y'all. That's all right. Go read, watch the news. All right. You go, I'm getting in right now. I'm getting in right now. Why? Because you saw what it did for me. Here's the pain. You weren't in it as long as I was. Therefore, you don't understand how the treasure works. You see my treasure. You grab it. That's great. But that, when you grab the treasure out of a moment, it's so that you will continue to go back and gain more treasure. Do you think that there is only one treasure in this world, or do you think there are multitudes of treasures? But we will settle for one. If I could just get one. If I could. But there is all kinds of hidden treasure. In this word, it's time for you and I to start uncovering the treasure that God has hidden for you in his kingdom. It's time for you and I to have an expectation that when the word is brought forth or when you read the word or when you go to pray or when you go to worship, God's going to meet you there. You should have an expectation of that. Stop walking around going, I didn't see him. You probably weren't looking because he's in our midst. I love what Luke chapter 12, verse 34 says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So if your treasure is not in the word, then where is it? And if your treasure is not in the word, that means your desire is not in the word. And if your desire is not in the word, then your desire is not in the heart of the Father. And the Bible says he wants to give you the desires of your heart. Where your treasure is, there your, another version says, there your heart will be also. Where my treasure is, where my heart is. Y'all see the correlation here. Where your treasure is, there your heart. That's why the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It takes a heart to love something. So where my treasure is, there my heart is. Where my treasure is, there my heart is. So if my treasure is not in the word, then my heart's not in the word. And if my heart's not in the word, is my heart with the Father? 
For the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word is God. So if I don't have this, this isn't getting affected. It means this is not changing. Okay. And it goes on in that same verse of scripture. It says, it says, sorry, it says, it says, the kingdom of God, if the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field and in his excitement. Mm. Okay, work with me for a second. Buckle your seatbelt. Everything I'm about to say is in love. But it's gonna sting just a little bit. Okay, we'll just call this my Paul moment or my Ezekiel moment. If you don't know who those two guys are, go read your Bible. It's gonna be a little tight. You ready? Could you please tell your face that God is on the throne? Because what I don't understand is when we walk into the house of God, we walk like this. You know why we put greeters at the door? To hopefully get some smile in your spirit before you walk in this door. Pastor, I thought you did that because you love us. We do. We love you enough for you not to stay in your funk anymore. So what we should call the greeters are the funk removers. That is their job title. Remove the funk. Why? Because it is very hard when somebody's going, good morning, we're so glad you're here for you to go. <laughs> Even if you put a fake one on, hey, all right. <laughs> okay, but whatever. We're just trying to get your, your face to find out where God is. Say, like, come on, work with me for a second. You ever heard somebody say, I'm a Christian, they just stare at you? I'm a Christian. God, man, I, it's, like, it's like, can you just tell the rest of your body to leap with joy, please? Like, ah, hey, you once were going to hell, no longer are you. Can you at least act like you're excited about it? He's like, come on, work with me for a second. So it says, in his excitement, listen, I said this before and I say it all the time, excitement breeds expectation. Expectation breeds the miraculous. If you get something in your spirit, get that today. Excitement breeds expectation. Expectation breeds the miraculous. How many of y'all remember the first time you ever went to, like, Disney World? I can remember the first time I ever went to Disney World, my adrenaline was pumping. I was shaking. I was six years old. I was like, we're going to Disney World. 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 Y'all wake up to church like, oh, it's Sunday. Do we really have to go this morning? I'm kind of tired. Like, I mean, come on. I mean, we know a pastor's going to preach. We'll just catch on the line. We'll just sleep in. I don't really, uh, you know, I mean, come on. We know a pastor. Come on. It's, it's church. It's just church. It's just church. And then you realize that scripture says, forsake not the gathering of the brethren in. Why? Why? Why does he want us to do that? Because we strengthen each other. Come on. Don't throw those moments that you, those mornings you get up and you're going through something. Then you get placed because God orchestrated, put, put you in a seat next to somebody. Maybe you didn't know what was coming your way. And then all of a sudden, their worship starts to become contagious. And you're like, man, I want what they got. So let me, okay, let me just get out my stuff and let me just find this moment here. He does that so we can gain strength with each other, so we can pray with one another, so each other, so that we can stand with each other. But sometimes we, we miss it because we're not excited anymore. We don't have any expectations anymore. We, we know what pastor's going to do. He's going to, at the end of worship, he's going to get up there and he's going to talk to us and maybe lead us a little bit further into the worship. And then he's going to do the announcements. He's going to welcome the newcomers and tell them he's not going to stalk them. And then, and then he's, and then he's going to, then he's going to, then he's going to talk a few more minutes and he's going to say, let's get in the word. And then he's going to give us a word and he's going to send us home. See, if that's all your expectation is then please do not crack your Bible. Please do not pray. Please do not worship. Because you will have the same expectation of all of those moments that you do for this one. Because all of them are of equal value to God. Coming to church is of equal value as you praying privately. They all work together. 
He says, in his excitement. Listen, hope does not change anything but your direction. Excitement determines the outcome. Let me say that to you again. Hope does not change anything but the direction. Listen, you lived in hope before salvation. You lived in hope. He is our hope. You lived in hope when you were in sin. If you've come out of sin, he is no longer your hope. He is your current. He is your now. So therefore, I, I, I don't, I'm not looking anymore. He is right now. Therefore, my excitement of this moment determines my outcome. If you come into your moments with God excited about what's about to take place, not just play in church. If you come in excited about the things of God, you're going to walk out fulfilled, empowered, ready to go forward rather than just keep sitting in another service, sitting around doing nothing. Can I help you with something? It is not my responsibility as your pastor to get you excited about his word. He's already done enough for you to be excited. I am not a cheerleader. I am not a sis boom and I am not putting a skirt on in pom-poms, Jack. I'm here to declare the word because the word is buried on the inside of me. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I don't know what is wrong with my belt this morning. It's driving me nuts. Can I just say something for a second? I lost too much doggone weight and the belt don't fit no more. Dang it. Okay, now I feel better. I'm tired of fixing that thing. Y'all think I didn't see? I was like doing this the whole time I'm preaching. My wife's pointing going, your, your belt, your belt, your belt. Okay, God, Jesus, help us. <sighs> can't win for nothing around here. I could hope that the belt stopped, but until I take it off, it doesn't change nothing. See, now y'all didn't realize I could twist that and turn that into an illustration right there. Amen. I can hope you lose weight, but if you don't stop eating bad food, you won't. Okay. All right. Excitement does not come when you find the treasure. It comes when you're looking for it. Mm, some of us wait till we find the treasure to get excited. Oh, I found it. Yay. Watch this. There's $10 million planted six feet under the ground in the middle of the parking lot outside. Somebody's not moving. Some of y'all are going, is he being serious right now? <laughs> Please don't go put holes in my parking lot. I'll have to call Dwayne and have to come fill the concrete. Don't do that. But here's the truth of it. If I told you there was $10 million and I was dead serious, none of y'all in this room got a jackhammer right now. None of y'all got a pick. Well, Mr. Dwayne probably does in his truck, but that's because he does concrete for a living. He would probably beat all of y'all to the $10 million. Okay. But the truth be told is, is that you would find a store today. You'd probably leave while I was preaching. Pastor, I love you, but you said 10 million. And your excitement would take you to the store. I don't care if you're broken out. You're going to find a way to find a jackhammer from somebody. We're going to get that $10 million, Pastor. We're going to get that. Now, as long as you tithe, you can have it. Amen. But anyway. So, come on. That was a good one. That was, whew, I just slid that one under the radar real fast. Okay. But it's like, the, the, the jackpot's a billion dollars. I know, I hear you. All right, so, so, so you'd find that jackhammer, and you'd come and start digging. Why, why would you do that? Because your excitement has created an expectation of all the things that are going to happen once you get that $10 million. Why is it then we go to read the Word that brings eternal principles to our life, which eternity is greater than $10 million because $10 million gets left here, eternity is forever. Hold on. We get in this word and we have no expectation to uncover, no excitement to uncover what God has in that book for us. We have no excitement to go into worship. We have no excitement to go into prayer. We have no excitement to spend time with God. We almost treat it as if it's an imposition or a frustration in our existence. God, I don't know why I have to give up my time. God, isn't it good enough I just go to church? No, because you haven't found the excitement and the expectation of uncovering great treasure. He says, in his excitement. 
Can I just, can I just get us, can we just please start pursuing God with excitement? When you get in your Bible, get excited. Don't see it as a task. If it's just a task, it doesn't count. Because if your time with God doesn't bring excitement, then you're doing it out of the wrong motives. You're doing it out of works rather than out of a heart that is pure towards him. Excitement does not come when you find the treasure. It comes when you're looking for it. And then you finally uncover it. When I say let's get in the word, does the fact that the word has treasure for you get you excited? Or does it only excite you when you finally get it? Or when I finally say amen, you can go to lunch. Because it's amazing sometimes. The whole time I'm preaching, we're like. Everybody's saying, oh, praise God. We're going to make it before lunch kicks in. We're going to beat the crowd. Amen. We're going to, guys, we're not going to have to wait in the waiting line today. Let me text John over there on the other side, see what he's doing for lunch. And we're so focused on getting out that we're not getting anything in. We're so focused on getting out of the building that we haven't allowed the word to get in us. And therefore, you're going to go feed your face and your spirit man's still going to be withering and dying. And then you're going to come back, Pastor, I don't understand. I'm just not growing. I'm just like, I got to leave the church. I'm not growing. This is, I'm not growing anymore. I got to leave the church. It's, it's time for me to leave. This is not the church for me anymore. The church isn't what caused you not to grow. You caused yourself not to grow because you stopped eating. You stopped feeding. You stopped trusting. Your excitement for the word no longer exists. You want me to be your excitement. Baby, I don't have enough energy to keep all y'all excited. That is too much drama for me. I got enough for me and try my hardest to give enough for my family. But doggone it, it's tough. So I got to work for me. You got to work for you. Bring your excitement. Could you imagine if we all came together excited? Would you see the fire and the power of God fall in the house of God again? He says, in his excitement, what did he do? He hid it again. Pastor, why would he hide it again? Well, here's the truth of it. He didn't hide it back in the hole he got it from. That was just a temporary resting place until it was uncovered. He found it and hid it where? In himself. David said it this way. He says, thy word has I hid in my heart. Can I just say this to you? Once you uncover great treasures and the things of God and understanding how God's way of doing things, the kingdom of God and what, what he wants you to do, can you please hide it in a place that counts and not in a corner so that you can tell everybody how much treasure you got? Pastor, I, I've, been, I've been saved my entire life. I mean, I cut my teeth on the pew. I cut my teeth on the pew and then ran out those pews. I, I, have, I have touched so many lives. I've led so many people to the Lord. Yet we never talk about the sin that so easily ensnares us. We never discuss the struggles that we walk through because we want everybody to think we've made it perfectly. We would all be foolish to stand in this room and go, I am perfect. But we serve the one who perfects us. So you got to walk into a room sometimes and go, look, I might have done a lot of things, but I'm still growing. I'm still learning. So just so y'all know, so everybody catches this in this room, your pastor is not fully grown. I'm still growing. And when I die, that's the culmination of my existence. But as long as I'm breathing on this earth, it's another opportunity for me to grow more in him and to learn more from him. I am not there. So please do not ever get in your head. Pastor's got it all together. No, he does not. He is working on it. I'm a process, baby, and I thank God I'm a process because that means when I make mistakes, I can come before the throne of grace and say, God, I see what I did, but will you take that out of me so that I can be more like you? David said, thy word hath I hid in my heart. Treasure has no value until it's put in its right place. Watch this. 
Treasure has a value as long as it's in the parking lot six feet under. But the moment you find it, how much more value does it have? The moment you find it, how much more value does it have in your pocket? How much more value does it have it in your possession? Until you possess the word, it has no power. It has no value. You can't just say, oh, that's cute. I know there's a couple cute scriptures. No, the word has to be a possession of yours. Why does the Bible call it a sword? Because you can't go to a fight without a sword, Jack. Well, I'm just going to walk in. Walk in. The enemy's like, go ahead, walk in. Do whatever you want to do. But the moment you pull that sword out, the enemy's like, never mind, i got to walk. How many times do we combat situations and circumstances with thoughts and opinions and broken up scriptures that we heard 52 times in a sermon rather than knowing the word for what it is? And so when the enemy comes, like, hey, I got something for you. I got a word for you. This is not my word. It's the word, the word of the Lord. I, I want to give you something. The moment you say, here's the word of the Lord, the enemy goes, I'm out. Why? Because the enemy knows he cannot battle the word of God. It is a weapon that he cannot destroy. He tried it. It didn't work for him. He got booted out of heaven because of it. He tried to combat with God, and God says, I need some of y'all to go. I need to boot him back out. They go, I don't know how you got in, but you got to go. Treasure has no value until it's put in its right place. Hidden treasure that is not discovered has no power while it's not found. Its value in your life is only speculated while you talk about it. Watch this. Improve it. How many of y'all saw that, that marker on, on, on I-10 that said like a billion dollars was the jackpot or 999 million, whatever they got to? What do we all do when we see that? Man, if I won that, let me tell you all the things I would do. Right? How many, uh, anybody ever had that conversation? My wife and I have had it a thousand one times. Okay? We're like, look at that. I mean, we look at it when it says a million. We're like, praise God, that's a lot of money, Jack. Okay. We'll do that, right? We'll, we'll talk about where we'll spend the money. Because it appeases the flesh. You haven't even uncovered scripture yet. Yet you don't even talk about where you're going to spend the value of the word on the inside of you. So watch, I wake up on a Sunday morning and I go to the house of God. I'm about to get my million. What you going to do when you get it? <laughs> My life's going to be changed forever. The broken places are going to be made whole. The restoration that I've been believing for in my family is about to come. My marriage is going to be whole. My children are going to be whole. My finances are going to be whole. I'm going to see God do his greatest work in me. See, we don't even spin the scripture. We don't even speculate of its power. We have to wait till it's delivered, till someone uncovers it for us. <gasps> Peekaboo, there it is. Could you imagine if you said, man, I don't even care what pastor preached today. I know the moment the word comes, it's going to rip something new. Because I got excitement for the word. I got excitement for his presence. I got excitement for his power. The value, its value in your life is only speculated while you talk about it. Stop talking about it, find it, uncover it, and apply it. He goes on, he says, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Why would he sell everything he owns to get enough money to buy the field? Because the treasure in the eternal word was more than the mortal treasure that he kept trying to produce. There has to come a point in our lives as believers where the kingdom of God, God's way of doing things, becomes so important to us that we will sell out everything. All in. I'm all in. 
I'm all in. See, here's, here's the thing. Here's how we do it, though. God, I'm partially in because I want to keep this little piece of me alive. Therefore, you, the old things are not passed away and all things have become new. The old things are still alive and you're not new yet. You can't give up half your life and call yourself new. You have to give up the whole thing. He says he took the treasure, hid it. In his excitement, he hid it. And then he went and sold everything he owned because he knew that there was more treasure. How much more does God have to do for you to go all in? How many more times does he have to save you? How many more times does he have to heal you? How many more times does he have to give you peace in the middle of the storm? How many more times does he have to do this? How many times does he have to do that before you finally just say, you know what, God? I've been fighting the wrong thing. There's more treasure in here for me. I'll let go of everything so I can find more of you. At some point, we have to be willing to stop playing the church and become the church. The church was sold out to the cause of Christ unto death. Unto death. Unto If you read your Bible, my God, there's some moments in there you're going to be like, whoa, that's crazy. Are you really willing to let go of your life for this? I, I, I sat on my way this morning in the car and I was just thinking over things and something hit me. And I say it all the time, but I think that the overwhelming consensus of the church is not on the same page. Is that if today you had to lay your life down for the cause of Christ, most believers would be looking for the back door. To save one moment of their mortal life rather than accept their eternal reward. They would much rather have five more minutes on the earth than to find eternity in heaven. We have been cultured to grip a hold of this life and never embrace the kingdom that's in front of us. We're holding on going, I gotta, I gotta be in this. I gotta be in this. I gotta, no, God, you can't. No, God, don't. God says, shut up. I'm still in control. Let it go. I got better things for you. My plans are better than your plans. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are bigger than your thoughts. Shh, I got this. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, counted the very hairs on your head and breathed the breath of life into you. If he's big enough to do all of those things, can't he be big enough to carry you to the next season? Then you've got to embrace the kingdom, not the church. The church is a part of the kingdom, but it is not the kingdom. The kingdom is his way of doing things. As I close today, let me share with you what God gave me as his perspective on this scripture. I'm going to ask you to put your Bible and your notepads away because this isn't a note moment. I need you to listen to this. Because as I was reading this, I always look for the moment, God, okay, I get it. You're trying to teach me something, but God, show me. Show me how you wanted me to see this for me. So let me show you what he showed me. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven, God's way of doing things, God. God is the man that discovered treasure hidden in a field. Pastor, what do you mean he's looking for treasure? 
No, you are that treasure. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I thought about this and I said, God, what were you doing? He said, Brian, before you were ever, before you were ever born, I saw you. God, we're talking thousands of years. I know. But Brian, you, you just didn't realize I saw you the whole time. And in you, I placed my greatest treasure. Before you ever breathed your first breath, before Adam and Eve ever came into the earth, I, I knew you. I knew Adam and Eve too, and I had plans and purposes for them. I, I saw them. I placed my treasure. And I, I did everything I could to get them to stay within those confines of understanding, but they chose to walk a way that I didn't give them. They chose to walk in their flesh rather than my ways, my kingdom. I didn't kick them out because I wanted to. I had to because they had removed themselves. I told them that they couldn't stay here anymore. But I never quit on them. I never quit loving them. I never quit walking with them. And there might have been times that Adam and Eve wondered if God had quit on them, but I was still walking with them because they were my treasure too. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. He's the owner of the field. He knows where you are and, and, and he sees you. He discovered you in your moment, your circumstances and situations. He found you. And here's what I love about God. God says in his excitement of finding you or you finding him, he hid you. He said, look, I know the world is pain, but if you'll come with me, I'll protect you. I'll hide you under the shadow of the Almighty. I'll hide you under my wings. I'll protect you, but you've got to stay with me. He loved you so much that he didn't put you back in the ground and said, you know what, just stay in the hole. He said, come here. I got you. You're my treasure. And he brought you out of captivity, out of your dead state, out of your buried state. And he hid you with him. And then he goes back and he says he sold everything. What do you mean? God paid the price through Jesus for you. I'm about to mess you up. Because in that same field are your children's, children's, children's generational. God doesn't come to save a generation. He comes to save generations. That through one, multitudes might be saved. So here's how I see this. God saw me before my mama thought about me, before my mama even breathed her first breath. God knew about me. And although I ran and although I tried to hide and although I tried to do everything contrary to his word, although I knew what was right and I knew it was wrong, I still chose the wrong ways and I made a lot of mistakes. God still never failed and still never quit on me. And then he found me in the midst of a broken person in the midst of a prison cell and said, I still got plans for you. But you got to come here. I'm not coming to you anymore. I need you to come to me. That means I need you to leave where you are and come to me. I need you to leave your stuff and come to me. Come to me broken. Come to me messed up. It's okay. I'm going to fix it. But I need you to come. 
not realizing that in the process of me being uncovered by him and hiding under the shadow of the Almighty was actually putting me in position to receive the treasure that he had placed before me that I never could see, that I never thought was going to ever happen. That I'd ever be a father of four kids, that I'd ever be married, that I'd ever do this, that I'd ever stand here and preach to you and tell you about a God who doesn't quit. In fact, the kid who stands before you was the one who tried to kill himself on numerous occasions because he was busted and broken and he thought, there's nothing better than death. And it wasn't because I was going to heaven, it's just because I didn't want to live. It wasn't because heaven was my reward. It was because I would rather consume to the pain than be a hold, than hold on to the promise. It was easier to be broken than it was to be healed. I had no idea that the whole time I was hurting, God was uncovering treasures. All I had to do was get into him. See, here's the thing. When I was outside of this, the treasure that was waiting for me was one that I created, not one that he was creating for me. And I came this close to settling. I came this close to giving up. I came this close to accepting what I knew wasn't God. God said, Brian, just come to me. I lost everything. But I found him. (laughs) He said, but I had treasures for you this whole time. And here was the crazy part, Brian. Before you were even born, I bought your field. Because I knew there was treasure in that field for you. God owns your fields. He's got treasure for you in them. But you got to get in him so that you can find it. So that you can uncover it. I didn't say it was going to be perfect. I didn't say it was going to be easy. I didn't say it was going to be no work. Listen, let me help with something. If you think this is no work, You've missed it. Because this requires work. But the fruit on the other side of this labor is intense. It says in his excitement, he hid you. And sold everything he owned. Paid, it for, paid for it with Jesus. And he said to get enough money to buy the field. God bought your field. Stop acting like he doesn't own it. Do you understand that you're his treasure? When you finally understand you're his treasure, you have a desire to find how much treasure he is in him. The reason we don't desire to find the treasure in his word, in our prayer time, in our fasting, in our worship, the reason we don't decide to do that is because we have not found out that we are his treasure. You are valued. So go get more. You are not a mistake. You are not a mishap. You're not even broken. The Bible declares you're the righteousness of your father. And I believe that same way he said about Jesus in him, he is well pleased. I believe he's pleased in you too. Stop underselling yourself and losing your value, which keeps you from finding out that there's even more on the inside of you. When this gets planted and takes root. The kingdom of God is like a man. Like a treasure 
that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Find the treasure. Be excited. Go all in. And possess the promises that he has for you. Everybody stand to your feet. Without every head bowed, without every eye closed. Can I just be honest with you? I don't know where we started that foolishness. The Bible declares if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. You stand in this place right now in this moment and you say, Pastor, I didn't know I was a treasure. Or, Pastor, there have been some things in my life that made me lose sight of the treasure that I am in him. If that's you, right where you stand, we just do a favor just for Pastor, that's me. That's me. I've lost sight of it. See, here's the thing. As your pastor, I struggle with this at moments. It's, can, I, can, I just, can I just be honest? And this is not to call anybody out. It, it, it pains me. When we can sit in the church and act and masquerade as if God doesn't already know. You know what the simple hand lifting of a hand is? For you to finally acknowledge what God already knows about you. It's not so I can be like, ooh, let me count those hands. Let me count those hands. Let me see if I did a preach good sermon today. Let me see how many people responded. It's so that you'll finally acknowledge, hey, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I'm not where I want to be, but man, I'm willing to go. So let me ask again, because I think sometimes fear determines our outcome. If you're in this place, say, Pastor, I want to uncover my value. In Him. My wife can't give me value. She didn't make me. She loves me. And her love brings a value to me. But she cannot place the price tag on my life. Only he can. Don't let things and people create your value. Find out what he values you at. And I don't even understand because there's a price tag that's not even a numbered space because he says he poured out his blood. So that you might live. So that you might have life and life more abundantly. Like, that's crazy. Come on, you need to know your value. Says me, Pastor, you know my value. In just a moment, I'm going to open this altar for those that are need a Savior, need to come and give their life to Christ. You're going to come in a moment just to do that. But here's my challenge to you that raised your hands in this moment. I prayed this week you would uncover the treasure that's in you. My prayer is that, okay, after last week we spent the week in the Word, this week you're going to spend your whole week uncovering treasure. You're going, I didn't know I had that in me. I, I didn't know I was, I didn't know that. I didn't see that the whole, good. I hope that every day you wake up, you find a new thing. You will have such fullness of life.
because you'll realize that every breath you take is a gift, is a treasure from God. Now, without any reservation in this moment, before we walk out of this place, God says, you're a treasure hidden in this field. He's come to uncover you, and you've been hidden. Maybe there's some sin in your life. You want to lay it down. It's not a bad thing. It's not, it's not a, oh, I failed at life. This is your moment to step into the greatest moment of your life. If you're standing in this place, you say, Pastor, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I need to give my life to Christ. I'm ready to do it today. I'm ready to give up all of my stuff and go all in. If that's you, do me a favor. Don't even reservation, no reservation in your mind. Lift your hand as high as it goes. That's me, Pastor. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Okay? Okay? Anybody else? Anybody else? Oh, I'm going to look around and see who's raising their hand. Maybe you need to raise yours. Five more seconds. I'm, I'm going to move on. Good. For those hands that are lifted right now, for those hands that are lifted right now, if you're around somebody that's hand is lifted, I want you to go next to them. I don't need you to move out of your chairs. If you're close to somebody, I've got a few over here. I've got one over here, and i got one back there. Can you, if this is the church, this is what the church does. Can you reach over and put your hand on their shoulder right now? If you're not close enough, stretch your hands toward them. Why do I have to be the soul winner? You're soul winners. Why do I have to be the one who does it? You're, you, you're the same God that lives in you, lives in me. So let's pray this prayer. We're all going to pray it as a family. Say this with me all across this house. Say, Father, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And the great part about that is you're ready to receive me with all my stuff, with all my struggles, with all my sin. Today, God, I lay aside every weight that so easily ensnares me. I lay down my sinful ways. And today, I receive the life, the liberty, the freedom, the joy, the peace that only you can bring. Today, God, I leave my former life accepting you as my king, my savior, my all in all, my first and last. Today, I declare in this place that I am a child of the Most High God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Today, I declare I'm saved, set free, 